Welcome to Business Steps Up, a presentation of HIALI, one of the recognized voices in Long Island business. We'll focus on cutting-edge topics important to the Bi-County region and beyond. So sit back, relax, and listen to some of Long Island's most influential business leaders here on Business Steps Up. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this edition of HIALI Business Steps Up. You know, this initiative began for us through COVID, through the pandemic, because we saw so many organizations just stepping up to the plate and not only helping out through COVID, but doing some extraordinary things. And, and I have to say that hasn't changed post-COVID. It really hasn't. So we're very fortunate uh, this afternoon to have the CEO of Family Service Leave, Karen uh, Borstein, longtime HIALI member. I've had the privilege of taking tours at their main location and uh, part of their DASH program, and they do some phenomenal things. So welcome, Karen. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Terry. So let's start off and talk about uh, the history of Family Service League. Just okay. tell us. Sure. We've been around for a lot of years, uh, 90, we're on our 97th year. And, you know, like most not-for-profits, you start as a small grassroots organization, and we started in Huntington. And throughout the decades, you know, we've grown to be one of the largest, you know, not-for-profits on Long Island. Then um, we go from Huntington all the way out to East Hampton. We have a couple of programs in Nassau County as well. And, you know, through the decades, you evolve and really, you know, strive to create programs where there are needs in communities and gaps and services. And, you know, while we started out as a, a counseling organization back in the 20s and 30s, you know, over the decades, we really have, you know, broadened that scope to where we are today, where we treat the entire family. You know, the name implies family service. We do. We treat the entire family and, you know, we do it in a very holistic way. And throughout the years, our programs have developed in such a way that, you know, we've increased mental health services. We've, you know, started housing programs. Uh, shelters have been a big piece for the work that we do. And, you know, in a nutshell, going from young children right through seniors, we really cover the entire lifespan. And I like to say we're a safety net for Long Island, um, because if you come to us, typically you're going to be able to get your needs met, that we offer so many services from, as I said, preschool programs to mental health, addiction, housing, uh, job training, all family support services, and, and also really helping with you know, what's now called social determinants of health, that, you know, they, we've done that for decades, but now, and I, I think even social determinants of health, health may be a little bit outdated, um, but it is what it is, meaning we're looking to address poverty and unemployment, you know, food insecurity, everything that someone needs in order to stabilize their life is what we do. And when someone comes to us, we're going to take a real broad look of what do they need? You know, they may be coming to us saying, you know, I have trouble getting my parent into a nursing home. I don't know what to do. And then as they meet with the counselor and they start peeling away what else is going on, they may need other linkages. And, you know, that's been a real strength of Family Service League that when someone comes to us, they don't need to schlep all over Suffolk County or Nassau County that 
typically we're going to be able to help to connect them to something, you know, of our services. And if not, if by chance we don't offer it, certainly we know a lot of uh, good, wonderful organizations that we're going to connect someone to so they don't drop through, you know, um, you know, into not look knowing where to go and really helping to make connect the dots with people and try to make it as easy as possible. Because let me tell you, it's not easy to navigate a lot of the bureaucracies and, um, I'm grateful that my staff know exactly what to do with a lot of these issues and how to help. Yeah. And and you know what? The thing that we were just talking off screen about, you know, the thing that amazed me when I've taken some of the tours at your facilities is that you're right. You're dealing with a lot of families um, sometimes in crisis. Right. Yeah. So it, it's really important that it's a one stop shop. Right. Mm -hmm. that come to you and your counselors and they can they can be referred to people and they don't have to make eight different phone calls and things like that. So talk about what that network looks like. How many employees do you have? And and while you do that, Karen, tell us, if you don't mind, a little bit about your background. Mm. Um, well, let, let me start with the agency first. We have 700 employees and our budget is about $60 million. Is that um, all on Long Island? Mm-hmm. On Long Island. Yeah. And um, we have a board of directors of 34 members who govern the organization. Um, and you know, we, we, you know, it's hard, you know, you have to really be very diverse and, and diverse in funding to have a network of programs like we do. So we really do try to, you know, garner funding from every branch of government. Um, and, you know, as well as the board, we do a lot of fundraising events, but um, you know, that's a complicated part when you're a complicated agency offering multiple services, um, you really need to be able to have a diverse funding stream, you know, a solid portfolio, just as if you were personal in your personal life. We really need a real mix and hybrid of different funding sources in order to keep programs whole, in order to continue to grow as an organization. And when I, I started Family Servicely back in 1993, so I've been here a little while. And, um, you know, I'm a social worker by education. And, um, you know, when I started Family Service League, you know, I started as an assistant director of a program and then throughout the decades, you know, grew and my predecessor, Rick Van Dyke, who many people know, who had been at the helm of the agency for 25 years. I worked very closely with him for 16 of those years. And, um, you know, he, you know, recommended me to the board back in 2009 to, uh, you know, succeed him. And um, then I've I've been the CEO since 2009, and I'm humbled by it. It's a wonderful organization, a terrific board of directors who I have a wonderful partnership with, and obviously an amazing staff um, who helped to lead this organization. Uh, you know, I certainly I make the final decisions, but we do it by consensus. I really count on my executive leadership team with me. We really vet important decisions and policy changes have to go and bring them to the board. But, um, you know, I, as I said, I'm very proud and humble to lead this agency. Yeah, I, I I can imagine how how not only frustrating is it sometimes, right, because you're seeing what you're seeing, but how gratifying it is. It absolutely is. Really, we've really made a difference, right? It is. You know, when you get, you know, so I get, you know, I pick up my own phone in the office, right? And sometimes uh, someone will get call me a, a former client, a client, you know, and sometimes there are going to be things they complain about there, and that's valid too. And I need to hear that and want to hear that. Um, but the other times, that whether someone's calling just to say, you know, I just want to tell you, you don't know me. 
But, you know, I took my son to your DASH program last week. And I have to tell you, you know, and then they go on to say how wonderful the staff was and to their son and what a wonderful facility is. And when you hear what you're doing to change people's lives, yes, it's it's really gratifying. You know, we're doing good work. Yeah, which is great, which is great. Literally saving people's lives, seriously, right? Yes, so, we are. Yes, we are. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, we we saw in the world and, and you see it more prominently going through COVID and that pandemic, mm-hmm. that mental health is at a high, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I see it, I have a high school, my son's in high school, we see it in schools, we see it out of schools, we see it with police departments, we just see mm-hmm. it all over. Um, talk to us about the trends that you're seeing and what that looks like for the agency. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely, as you said, throughout COVID, um, you know, we saw, we, you know, people still came to us. We were open obviously, and our, our, all of our programs were open a lot, telehealth, but programs like our DASH program, that it's a crisis stabilization center, um, 24 seven. And certainly we saw a lot of people then. Um, coming to us because of depression or just feeling so isolated, particularly youth. And, you know, we we got them through that. And then once they re-entered back into school, it, it was still a real hardship. You know, kids felt like, gee, so ostracized at sometimes from social media when they were on there. And throughout those, you know, COVID years, it, they felt like estranged from a lot of people. So it took a, a long time to get back into feeling connected with others. And so that the lingering effects, yeah, are isolation, depression, sad feelings. Sometimes they found themselves being bullied, you know, on on social media sites. So um, we certainly have seen an increase. And, you know, as soon as schools open back up, Terry, which we always do, um, you know, we see a larger number of children and youth at DASH than we do adults. I think it's 60 percent, you know, children, adolescents and 40 percent adults. And at some time point, it was flipped. It was, you know, 60, 40 adults, children. Um, When school is open, all the school districts in Suffolk County take advantage of DASH. And if they feel that a child needs to be evaluated, they will tell the parent to take them to us. Um, and, and we help out with that, get an evaluation to see if a child, you know, is suffering, if they need treatment, if they're okay to go back to school, whatever is needed. Um, so we've been a real resource there and yeah, we've seen a change, you know, like I think though kids, you know, and listen, the country, the world is in a hard place. And I think we see, you know, obviously adults, but also youth, you know, reacting to this and feeling stressed. So that this continues, I mean, you know, Someone once said to me years and years ago that, my God, you could have a family service league on every corner because that's how much you needed. And so, yes, we have a lot of mental health work and it's our largest division because it is so needed, um, you know, throughout Long Island. And there are a lot of wonderful providers out there, but all of us are needed um, to really help address, you know, the problems. And sometimes it's still not enough. We all have waiting lists. Uh, but DASH, which stands for, by the way, Diagnostic Assessment and Stabilization Hub, is there 24-7. And if someone does have a, a mental health crisis or substance abuse problem, 24-7, if they call our hotline, which is 631-952-3333, they can reach one of our hotline staff. And 
they will help guide what needs to be done. You know, do you need to come into Dash? Do we need to send our mobile crisis team to you? I was which we say that you will pick them up. I remember that. That's yeah, true. we'll go out into the community and make an assessment to see what is needed. Do they, you know, or do they need hospitalization? Do they need to come to Dash? Um, you know, what's necessary at that time, and that's part of our assessment. But it's best for someone to call the hotline. And, and speak to those, you know, the social worker to find out, okay, what do I do next? And, uh, but other people certainly just walk in to, you know, do not need an appointment to come to DASH, but it's best optimal to call the hotline first. Um, but, you know, we get probably, I, I think it's close to, we have over like 12,000 calls uh, year to date for the hotline. And, and DASH, we've year to date, we've seen 4,000 people. Um, so it's very much a valuable resource. Yeah, I, I took a tour, as I said there, mm -hmm. and I was just in awe. But what I don't remember is, are they able to stay there overnight? Are they kind of referred somewhere else? Or how does that work? People can stay up to 24 hours. So I think it's 23 hours and 59 minutes. Um, so the typical length of stay is a few hours, two to three hours. But yeah, some people do stay close to the 24 But when people are leaving DASH, whether you're there just for the two or three hours or you're staying longer, you're going to be connected to treat to services. And obviously if it's, they live near family service league, they go to one of our centers, whatever services are needed. But if not, we have linkage agreements with many providers and we're going to ensure that someone gets connected. We do the follow-up work the next day to make sure they did. And sometimes people, if it didn't work out, they're going to come back to DASH and, and that's certainly okay. Um, we have showers there. If someone comes to us and needs to shower that, you know, uh, um, and change of clothes. So, and, and we provide light snacks, you know, not heavy meals, but if they're there for a number of hours, we do have light food. And, you know, you've seen it, Terry, it's a very warm, inviting environment. And we encourage people, listen, if you're having a mental health problem with substance abuse, come to DASH, you know, rather than going to the emergency room, because oftentimes that's not the optimal place for a crisis. And also, particularly for children, <clears throat> think about it. Any of us going to an emergency room, it can be frightening, right? Um, to see someone coming in in cardiac arrest or other problems. Um, and if you're a child or adolescent, it's pretty frightening. So at DASH, it's a very, very different environment. Um, and, you know, that's the feedback we've gotten, certainly from people who've come to us as well. So we know, you know, as I said, we see a lot of people. We hear, you know, lots of wonderful and see a lot of wonderful results that we're doing and helping to avoid unnecessary hospitalization. So, uh, you know, it's tough work and my DASH staff are incredible. And, um, you know, I'm just grateful that we have it. Yeah. So that has been there. That's right in the our Long Island Innovation Park at Hop Hog, right here. Yeah, in we're right at 90 Adams Avenue there. Yeah. How long has that building been there? Uh, three years we've been in there. And it's, again, a great service. So, yeah. Um, talk to us about some of the other services that, again, family service leads offer. And, and, and I go back to what I said before. It, it's sometimes not until you take an actual tour, right? And someone walks you around and, and you say to yourself, gosh, I had no idea you did that also. And wow, you can refer them here and do that. So talk a, a little bit more, um, you know, the larger picture. What are some of the other services you offer? Well, yeah, as I said, how, um, Mental health, behavioral health is our largest division. And one of the areas that has grown over the years with us in the behavioral health sphere is integrated health, meaning we've worked with Northwell Health since 2011 and started in our Bayshore office providing primary care to our clients. 
And over the years, it really has grown. And to the point where we are now in our, our in Beisha, and we've added a building there. Um, and Beisha is our, we call our, it's our largest regional campus. And our behavioral health center there, Northwell Health is there with us, but they're also expanding. They're basically going to open in Huntington, they have the Dolan Health Center. This is going to be Dolan South, so to speak, uh, a health center right there in our building open more so to the community that anyone could come just like they do to one of their other health centers. And for us, what it means is no wrong door, that someone's coming to family service league for whatever problem, they're going to, you know, be able to be matched. Okay. If they go, you know, they, we come to us, we're still going to offer them. They can see the doctors from Northwell right there and vice versa. If they go to North, they're coming in for Northwell because they don't feel well, they're going to also do a checklist and see, okay, is there other other services we can provide via Family Service League for someone coming? So um, it's a wonderful partnership, and that's going to, you know, develop and hopefully in early 2024 to really uh, grow into that health center piece. But we're, you know, proud of that partnership with Northwell, and it's a great benefit to, to our clients. And um also, as part of that continuum of services, Terry, we have a farm, a specialty pharmacy located in our Bayshore building, Genoa, and they specialize in, you know, psychotropic medications. They, they have any medications as well, but, you know, it's particularly in line for our clients who then can get the medications right there. Right. And our, the pharmacy also will deliver to any location a family service where our clients are if they need the medication. So it's been a wonderful partnership and they really, the pharmacists really are part of our treatment team, you know, with the clinicians, with our psychiatrists. So um, that's been something that has evolved over the years. And again, um, you know, we're, we're proud of that with them. Wonderful. So, you know, I'm, I'm making an assumption. So correct me if I'm, I'm on the right track or I'm not that, um, it's so critical that these communities understands what you have to offer. Right. And I know sometimes they don't, they just don't know where to go and, and they don't know how to get there. And um, so what are some of the things you're doing as an organization? I know you're a member of ours. I know you're a member of, of a lot of other business groups right. with that intention, but what are some of the other things you do to let communities know that you're there for them? Cause you're out and about your staff is absolutely out and about. It, well, and that's part of it, you know, and listen, we do a lot of networking. We do have wonderful relationships with school districts. We do a lot of work with schools. So parents, you know, families know to how to reach us. We also do, you know, a lot of our own PR work as well, that we have to get the word out there a lot, you know, social media. And um, we do a good amount of that, obviously. Um, and it's word of mouth, but, you know, and, and fundraising events too, are you know, a, a good way to, you know, to keep the, you know, the stewardship of donors also be introduced to new friends and prospective donors as well. Um, but it, it's right. It's another full-time job to make sure you keep the word out there about the services we do. And, you know, well, Terry, I've been doing this for a long time, right? And I find people don't necessarily know everything you do until they have a need to know. So they may, you know, they say, oh, yeah, I hear about, I know the name Family Service League, or I pass a billing and I see the, their logo, but I wasn't sure what they do. And then a friend may be talking to them and say, you know, gee, you know, my husband and I went to Family Service League, or I had to take my child. 
and then it clicks. Oh, and then they say, gee, I didn't know they do that. And then, you know, get the full understanding of what we do. Or at that point, they themselves may say, gee, you know what, I need some help. And I think, you know, my friend told me about Family Service League. So a lot of times it happens that way that people learn about us. Uh, it's through, you know, just through their own network of friends and colleagues as well. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And listen, when you do good work, right, they'll refer you to other people because, uh, as you said before, with that dash location, you walk in, it's just a, a warm and no judging, right? Wonderful environment, wonderful. Yeah, no, it really is. And, you know, some of the other programs we do, because I know you asked about that, um, we do a lot of crisis work, counseling. Um, one program is called CCAT. It stands for Community Crisis Action Team. And paired with that is another program called Joe's Project. And both of these programs started many years ago when I had an, um, an employee who was a social worker and his, his son, adult son, had mental illness and suffering with it for many years. And, and obviously, this, my informed employee knew what to do, you know, how to handle it and make sure his son got all the right care. But at 28 years old, you can't force your child to take medication, right? And unfortunately, he woke up one morning to find his son had hung himself. Yeah. And when that happened, you know, he, you know, reached out for help. And, he, you know, he talked about how the police were helpful, but they, too, didn't know exactly how to help, what to do. At that time, he went to his county legislator, who uh, was Bill Lindsay Sr., who has, you know, since passed away. But Bill was terrific because my employee, Richard, went to Bill, his legislator, and said, I work at Family Servicing, and I'd like you to give them funding to help other families like me when they've gone through this and what to do. And since then, Joe's project has been in the county budget, and we've also gotten other funding along the way. Um, because unfortunately, and you, know, you talk about the mental health piece, you know, as we spoke about earlier, Joe's project, we see like on average 25 to 30 suicides a year that my staff go out again, 24 seven, they're, they're trained in crisis intervention work and knowing how to respond and what to do. And, um, you know, it's grueling work. And again, you know, my staff do it, um, many of them on a voluntary basis, you know, cause it's again, 24 seven. So that program has been in existence for a long time, too. And the community crisis action team works with crisis, but a different nature. Um, again, go in 24-7 and they could be dealing with a crisis. It could be a robbery. It could be a suicide, a homicide, a natural disaster. Again, the staff go in and they're trained in how to help groups in, in getting through this. Um, and they're, it's free of charge. Um, and people know about us. Again, with the police, they also hand out the number for Joe's project to someone like we don't go chasing anyone. If someone needs a help, the police give them our number for that and yeah. they, they contact us. But, that's, you know, all that crisis work, too. Yeah. What's yeah. that? It's absolutely wonderful that there is a service like that. It know? is. It's And, I, you know, it's incredibly painful for staff. And, you know, they need debriefing after that as well. Um, again, I'm just grateful we have staff who, you know, recognize the importance of this and and just know and feel so good in doing this work. Right. Right. Wow. So I'm, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit in, in terms of 700 employees and where you feel you're finding that talent pool. I mean, you're probably familiar. We do a lot of as you know, work in the workforce development area. Right. One of the things we've found recently post-COVID is that although it's gotten 
a little better since COVID, our ability to fill that talent pool, it's still not easy, right? So right. Even if you look at nursing, we do a lot of work with Catholic Health and Northwell. Um, talk to us about the trends that you're seeing in that in that field and how you're filling some some of those holes. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been a challenge, as you said. It has gotten a little bit easier. Um, and it really, you know, what we all discovered, you know, many of us in the not-for-profit world, we talk and it's like an employee's world coming in. They, you know, want what they want um, and they're able to shop around and who, whichever agency is going to give them a little bit more they're going to go with. And so, you know, we try to be competitive uh, and, and look at, do competitive analyses, you know, regularly to make sure we are, you know, being competitive with other providers that we can attract staff um, you know, and and do a lot of things throughout the year to really appreciate staff. And we have a whole health and wellness committee run by staff to do different things um, and to look at different ways to incentivize staff. Uh, but absolutely, it's hard. And, you know, there have been times vacancies, you know, have stayed a long time in some programs and you've had to cut back. Uh, but as I said, I think it's getting a little bit easier. And the other thing is, you know, where, you know, sometimes someone will contact us. Oh, you're fully, can I do fully remote? Mm -mm, you can't, not a family service league. And um, so, you know, that's been a challenge too. But, um, you know, as I said, I do feel we're coming out of it a bit, but it's definitely has changed. And I'm, I don't know if I'll get back to where it was. It's definitely much more of a challenge, but I, you know, I do feel that it's a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I agree with you. I, it's definitely an employee's market, right? But um, I think it always, Karen, goes back to, and it's probably why you have such good employees, that if we treat our employees right, mm -hmm. you know, that, that that retention rate, and they just tend to bring in good people that they know as well, right? So, right, right. We right. Can do sometimes. So, so talk to us a little bit about 2024. What's coming down the pike? Some new things? Um. We hope in 24, we'll be opening uh, maybe a couple of new shelters for one for families and one for singles. Um, Department of Social Services that we work with in Suffolk County for that. You know, there are continue to be a lot of needs to help you know, people who are homeless. And FSL currently operates six shelters in Suffolk. And, you know, with the goal always to get people into permanent housing. And I'm happy to say that probably on average anywhere from 125 to 150 people are put into permanent housing, you know, and, you know, that while I, you know, it sounds great. It is good. You know, it's a drop in the bucket right. of how compared to how many people are homeless. Um, but, you know, it's such an important piece to do and, you know, to give people the skills that they need and give them job opportunities and the services they need. So they don't recycle back into homelessness. Um, Cause it, it's not easy. It's not easy. And, you know, it's hard for families to be in shelters, but um, we provide a lot of services. And as I said, our goal is always to get pe put people into permanent housing. So, again, I think we're going to be opening a couple of new shelters in early 24. Mm -hmm. With that, as I said, we're looking um, for Dolan, the south <laughs> side uh, um, health center to open as well. And, you know, again, looking at how we, you know, there's always room to grow. And while we think we do a lot of things right, you know, there's always room to grow and say, what can we do better and what do we need to change and keep looking at what needs, what gaps are out there in services um, and to do that. And and all with our mission in mind, you know, really restoring hope and rebuilding lives. That's what we do, Terry. Great. So you talked a little bit about homelessness. What, what are the trends that you're seeing right now on Long Island? 
And have they changed dramatically because of COVID, do you think? How has that impacted homelessness? Well, yeah, during COVID, because there was a moratorium on evictions that landlords could not have someone evicted if they weren't paying their rent. So went down a little bit. After that, though, when the that moratorium was lifted, homelessness increased. And so, yes, we've seen that. And, you know, that's why, you know, we're asked to open other shelters where one of the shelters we're going to open because the county said, you know, this is a need is for an older population and one with some, you know, physical disabilities and challenges. So that's probably going to be our first newest shelter that we'll be opening. Um, so to help that population. So that that definitely has changed. Um, and as right. I said, prior to COVID, it was a little slower, because uh, during COVID, slow because of the eviction and moratorium, but afterwards, it definitely increased again. And um, I, I think it's right now, it's probably a larger number, um, I could be wrong, but for fa- for individuals as opposed to families, um, you know, it, every so often it changes, but, um, you know, unfortunately, homelessness is, is not gone away. And, you know, it's 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 tough. It's It's a tremendous challenge for people. And we're happy to, you know, we're glad those that we're doing it. Yeah, those new centers obviously are needed then. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I didn't realize it's 228 already. How did that happen? I don't <laughs> know. Um, so just send us off and talk a little bit about we're involved in Project Toy. We have you guys every holiday with us collecting toys for yep. families and great chefs as well, because that's a great fundraiser to yep. you. I've been there. Great food. Just tasting. Yeah. Really yep. a lot of fun. So tell us about yeah. those two. Sure. Well, first of all, Great Chefs is November 13th and if you and at Crest Hollow, 5.30 p.m. And as Terry said, wonderful culinary delight. We have 40 different restaurants. It's a great fun evening um, and helping us to raise much needed you know, funds for our programs. And um, and if you want information about that, please go to our website, fsl-li.org and click events. Um, as to Project Toy, um, I'm going to give you a number to text because I know my chief development officer would say, did you say that, Karen? Um, so text um, to text FSL Toy 23, text it to 41444. Um, we appreciate donations. That's done in the middle of December that we help out probably five to 6,000 children each year with new toys. And so we appreciate all donations. Great. And we'll be partnering with you with Project Toy. I think it's probably at our 45th anniversary. So we're excited in December. Oh, terrific. Terrific. Uh, that'll be a great initiative. So final thought for the people watching. If you need help, reach out. Um, please don't sit by. And certainly if you see someone who might be depressed and struggling, please reach out and ask them the tough questions. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? You know, sometimes people don't want to hear the answer and they're afraid to ask, but if you ask and they say, yeah, you know, then, you know, you can call us that, that dash number, you know, 952-3333. Um, but that's an important piece that when someone's hurting and, you know, they just don't see themselves, you don't, they don't seem like themselves for a, a while, please ask, how can you help and what do you need? And are you thinking of hurting yourself? Right. Well, thank you. And listen, Karen, thank you so much for what you do. Oh, thank for you, the- Terry. It's such worthwhile work, number one. And um, I know you've been a leader for many, many years in this suite. So we really appreciate everything you've done. So thank, thank you, you very all much today. And we're going to sign off and we'll see you next month.
Business Steps Up is a production of HIALI, one of the recognized voices for business on Long Island and a powerful voice and economic engine for regional development. Check back for more interesting, thought-provoking episodes with some of Long Island's most influential business leaders. For more information, call us at 631-543-5355 or log on to hia-li.org.